today's message it is about the divine purpose of marriage it is found in first corinthians chapter 7 from verse 1 through verse 8. so let's read together first corinthians chapter 7 from verse 1 through verse 8. let's begin now concerning the matters about which you wrote it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body and the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command. I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God one of the one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. That as we pursue um, marriage or to understand, uh, we have to go back to God's original design and intention. When God designed marriage, there was specific reason and intentionality behind. And those of us who belong to God and we call ourselves as a followers of Jesus Christ, we have to go back to understand from biblical perspective of what family and marriage is all about. And it is so sad and it is unfortunate that even though we say that we are Christians, we belong to Christ. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to family, uh, there's not much difference from people who are in the world holding secular perspective and their values towards marriage. I know that uh, many of you are still singles in our congregation. And as you are really expecting to meet someone significant or your future spouse, what are some of the criteria that you are looking for? Uh, good education or looks, um, good family, physical attraction. All those things are very important for you as well. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. And these are very uh, important criteria. I want my daughters to marry someone, you know, who came from good background, you know, who are able to really think and pursue whatever that God has given to their lives. So we often pray, Lord, I want to marry someone who is strong believer and yet has all these criteria. So we tend to pursue, you know, both or all of these. But then when there's a moment uh, comes that we have to choose one or the other, you know, what becomes our true priority of our lives? 
What is the difference between believers and non-believers when we approach and understand the sacred of marriage? That we have to begin from the fact that it is God, our God, who has created and designed marriage. And that is the absolute difference that you and I were beginning. Therefore, that God has his intention and design towards a marriage. As we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we know that uh, people in Corinth, they are new believers or immature believers. They recently became Christians. And therefore, even though they were coming out to church and they were worshiping the Lord, there are so many different areas that they were still holding the value of sacred, uh, sacred world. So even their parenting or their marriage, their values and expectations were not necessarily from scripture truth, but their own understanding from the world. So they are bringing their values to church. And that's why Paul is now challenging and reminding them to understand marriage in the context of our relationship with God. So I hope and pray that we'll be able to really approach this very important topic of marriage from spiritual perspective based on 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because I find the 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is very different from typical Genesis passage. Because Genesis passage talks about, you know, man and woman becoming one and loving and really, um, you know, having this, you know, wonderful uh, kingdom of God being experienced through their lives. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has a very different perspective. And Paul is saying that first we need to break away from false understanding of marriage. And he's right from the beginning saying that marriage is not everything. The marriage is not the ultimate purpose of your life. And those of us who remain single, maybe this is something that, that we need to really preach to our you know, parents or other people who are constantly having this uh, you know, expectation or pressure. The problem is that many people think that marriage is the purpose of their lives. A marriage is a purpose, that's why I need to have a good education and I need to have an established job so that I can get married. And those of us who are not married, unmarried, we think that, you know what, my life is on hold. I am stuck because I'm not married yet. As if marriage is the ultimate purpose and fulfillment in life. But Paul is saying, you know what, I want you to remain single, just like I am. In verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and of another. You know, sometimes I you know, get requests by you know, first generation parents, you know, Pastor Jason, can you please do something? My son is not married yet. My daughter is not married yet. So they bring, you know, like, can you do something? And can you imagine if I say, you know what? You are doing a good job. Don't get married. And parents will not be, you know, happy at all. But when you look at the Bible, Jesus was single. And who will ever say that Jesus ever lived unfulfilled life? He failed in life. And even Paul, he remained single. 
And he's challenging. Not as like, you know what? You know, that's my cross and I cannot get married. But you know what? Bless you. But he's saying, I challenge you. I encourage you to remain single if possible. But what Paul is focusing on is not, it's not about getting married or unmarried. But what Paul is saying is, are you called? The ultimate purpose of our lives is receiving calling from God and living our lives accordingly. So for those of us who are called by God to get married, we need to get married. On the other hand, those of us who are called to remain single, we need to pursue our calling as a single to live our lives for God. Sometimes I see uh, people who are not called to marry that person end up getting married and feeling stuck. There are so many Christians, husbands and wives, who are married, and because of their marriage, they cannot really fulfill their calling that was given by God. The marriage is not a blessing. The marriage becomes the biggest bondage and obstacles and hindrance of their lives. Can you imagine, like, those of us who are not married, we go to meet our parents at Thanksgiving dinner, and then our grandparents and grandma saying, oh, you're still single? You're doing a good job. But we experience completely opposite. But what Paul is saying is that those of us who are gifted by God, called by God, we need to re- remain single in order to fulfill serving God. So most important thing is, are we called? What kind of calling do we have in life? In verse 32 to 34, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And that's why husband and wife, wife, you have to really remember that. Am I, is our marriage becoming bondage or hindrance for my spouse to really live out and pursuing the calling of God or are we pulling them back? and pulling them down. Because the Bible is very clear that it is the gospel and the calling of the gospel is our ultimate purpose of our lives. And I want to encourage our singles of our congregation members. Because as I spend some time with young adults and singles, you know, many of them, they think that you know, their life is like incomplete just because they are not married. And they're waiting for something to happen, and they're holding everything. And they feel like they're stuck in their life stage, and they cannot move forward. But that itself is a wrong understanding, a false understanding of the view of marriage. And many of us, we we have parents like Asian parents have a very, very unrealistic expectation 
right? Isn't that true? When our children are in high school, you know, we tell them, right? Like, don't date until you go to university, right? And then finally they go to university. You know what? Don't date until you go to graduate school. And then by the time they graduate from undergrad, like, what's wrong with you? You don't have any boyfriend or girlfriend. Unrealistic expectation. And we think that this marriage is something that it is not something that we need to exemplify or we need to learn about serving God together and experiencing the kingdom of God. It is something that is totally dichotomized or separated from what church should be and our family should be. That's why many of us, we grow up and say, you know what, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. And then somehow we get married and then we repeat exactly the same cycle. Or some of us, we pursue marriage, and yet, you know what? Our family, our children have become idol, number one idol of our lives. Rather than serving God for the kingdom of God, we implode because we hinder our spouse's walk with God. So then how do we understand the divine purpose of marriage? Now I'm going to share in two uh, different layers. Number one, it is the immediate purpose, and later there's the ultimate purpose as well. So what is the immediate purpose of our marriage? Number, verse 3 says, The husband should give to her wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. The immediate calling and purpose is that we have responsibility. We have a responsibility. It is also privilege in marriage. What is it that we need to keep each other accountable? We need to protect our spouse. That's what it is. When we are married, we're making covenant vows and saying, you know what, I will keep you, I will protect you rest of my life. When God made a covenant relationship, God made a covenant relationship with Israelites and saying that, you know what, I will love you unconditionally and also I will keep you, I will protect you. I will walk with you. That is a part of a covenant relationship. But the problem is, many of us, we view now marital relationship as more like, you know what, I will love you as long as you fit me. I will love you as long as I have a feeling towards you. As I was reading uh, some of the books, especially uh, Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, the most common thing, even inside of the church, is that when they're getting married, one thing that they're really uh, seeking is a soulmate. I want to marry my soulmate perfectly fit for my life. So let me ask you that question. Those of you who are married, can you truly say that your spouse is perfectly fit? Those who are nodding, you know, you're still going through the honeymoon stage. But what Tim Keller is saying is that there is no such thing as a perfectly fit. There is no one, absolutely no one in this world who will perfectly fit for you. 
Why? Because you and I, we're selfish, we're sinners. Not even God is perfectly fit for you. Isn't that true? The God that you worship, you know, there are times he doesn't fit for you. Your own self-centeredness, your own pride, your own desire, you know, God doesn't really cater everything for you. If God does not even fit for you perfectly, how could you expect your person to be a perfectly fit? So Tim Keller is saying, rather than we seek for a perfectly fit person, we need to confess that my spouse is a rare fit for me. Rare fit. You know, can you differentiate you know, the perfectly fit and rare fit? So those of you who are sitting beside your spouse saying, you are rare. You are rare. You know, rare in, you know, two different ways, right? You know, rare fit. You know, rare is like unique, but also on the other end, rare is like uncooked. <laughs> He's not ready yet. She's not ready yet. I don't think that's what Tim Keller meant, but, you know, since I had steak yesterday, I thought rare fit, you know, rare But this is Stanley Harvas said, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily instructions of personal fulfillment. Necessarily for us to become whole and happy, the assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks the crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. And yet, you know, as we finish, like, you know, go through, you know, honeymoon stage and we're living and realize that my spouse is not perfect fit. And many of us, we think that, you know what? Oh, I made a mistake. I made it the wrong person then we kind of like look elsewhere. Where are you? Because there got to be someone perfectly fit in the world. Where are you? So we look elsewhere, but the truth is that in this world, just like I said, there is no perfect fit for you. You know, pursuing marriage is not an easy thing. And that's why Paul's saying, if possible, remain single. If you're not married, good, stay that way. Because once we are married, we have to take responsibility. It's not about, I love you as long as you fit me. I love you because I have this inkling feeling in my heart. And then once that desire and passion is gone and I can walk away from marriage, but it's about lifelong covenant relationship that I will die for you. I will live for you. I am responsible for you to live out your personal relationship with God. I am that person. And that's why the Bible talks about marriage. In Genesis, it begins with the marriage, and Revelation, it ends with the marriage. The Jesus and the church having wedding banquet. And yet many of us, we do not take this seriously so that rather than we are protecting our spouse to thrive in their relationship with God, we're pulling them down. We're pulling them back. 
In verse 5 says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What Paul is saying is that, he's not saying, you know what, because we're dying with this temptation all the time, we need to be staying together. And some of you, like you screen your husband's like hakao talk or your wife's message. That's not what we're saying, micromanaging or trying to control your spouse. That's not what we're saying. But you know what? Know that when your husband, when your wife needs to really have a quality time with God, encourage that, protect that time. But on the other hand, we all fall into temptation. And Paul is not just talking about sexual temptation here, but we're talking about our emotional temptation, our mind, that temptation comes in. Gary Thomas says that there is a temptation that we're facing all the time, the hardness of our heart, anger, hatred, our bitterness, Our soul becoming parched, dry. And what marriage is all about is that we are protecting our spouse so that when they're going through bitterness, when they're going through resentment, when they're going through dry season of their hearts, we are there committed ourselves to support so that our spouse will be able to overcome those temptations. God has given marriage to protect covenant with God. And that is the immediate purpose. We have to protect our family. We have to protect our marriage. Rather than pursuing this phenomenon that is going on in society, in a way. You know, even 2,000 years ago, there was a social trend you know, that was a male, right? Authoritarian, chauvinistic culture. And what happened was that some of the ladies, they became believers. And they were coming out to church and husband, non-believing husband, they were persecuting their wives, not just spiritually, but even physically persecuting them. Abuse going on 2,000 years ago. You know what? This even happens even now, 2019. In in some parts of the world. So 2,000 years ago, some of the people, non-believing husbands, were abusing their wives so that believing wives, they had to leave. They have to flee away from this abusive family. But what Paul is saying is that, okay, if that was the case, in verse 11, but if she does, she should remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. What Paul is saying is that, you know what? But we have a calling to override and to overcome the social norm. In 2019, we do have a social norm. And some of us, we do have a broken, distorted understanding of a marriage. So that even though we are called to get married, some of us, we don't want to get married. Right? Because of fear. 
finance. Or even same sexual marriage. We think that that's a social norm. Human rights. Because of our culture, our own secular values, somehow it has twisted our understanding and frame of what marriage is all about, and not only influencing people outside, but also deeply influencing those of us who are worshiping and followers of Jesus Christ. Dear congregation members, Satan has agenda to destroy divine marriage. And our immediate purpose is to protect and keep each other and keep our marriage. Not only we have immediate purpose, but also we need to understand the ultimate purpose. What is the ultimate purpose? To love God and to become more like God. And we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are unique. They're different in a way, that, but they are celebrating their perfect union, the triune God. So God has given us our unique personality, temperament, background that we are different. And yet through our difference that we are becoming the new nature. The moment that we receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, not just like having ticket to go to heaven, but God is in the work of sanctifying us from old nature to new nature. And through marriage, the ultimate purpose is that we let go of our old nature so that we become new nature through the work of the Holy Spirit, through accountability and relationship. We learn to love. We learn to sacrifice. We learn to forgive. We learn to be considerate. So that we become more like Christ through covenantal relationship. You heard from so many wedding ceremonies and sermons, the purpose of marriage is not happiness. The purpose of marriage is holiness. And when we pursue holiness, we become happy as a byproduct. But the problem is many people, we want to be happy, we get married, and we are so unhappy. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 to 27 says, So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. God wants to sanctify you through your wife. God wants to sanctify you through your husband. Is there times it is challenging, annoying, stretching, requiring patience because of your spouse? Most absolutely. If that was not the case, you would not be sanctified. And Paul is saying, even if you are married with a non-believer, 
He's not encouraging you to marry non-believer intentionally. But Paul is speaking to Corinthian church people because after they were married, they became Christian. So he's saying, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean as if is they are holy. What it's saying is that even through that marriage, God can do something good. God can do something miracle. That you can bring non-believing husband, you can bring non-believing wife to encounter Jesus Christ through that relationship. Encountering God in the context of family. And therefore, as we are understanding Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, is that, you know, we can never separate the gospel and marriage. So he's saying marriage was designed to be a reflection of saving love of God for us in Jesus Christ. And that is why the gospel helps us to understand marriage, and marriage helps us to understand the gospel. So when you understand gospel, we understand marriage. When we understand marriage, we understand gospel. They are interconnected. And that is the ultimate purpose of marriage, that our spouse are called as a partners. So for instance, there's those of us who are married. Okay, don't expect your spouse to be your perfect fit, but expect your spouse to be a partner to pursue holiness and serving God together. And that's why I ask you to greet one another. You are wonderfully made and unique. We are different. And men and women, we are different. And ladies, and those of us uh, you know, who are married, wives, if you really need someone you know, at times that you know, soul to soul, you, know, you can always go out for coffee with your girlfriends. You know, there are areas your husband will not be able to meet because they are different. Husband, in the same way, even the ingredients are different, right? You know, men are made by dust and women are made by bone. So women are a lot more stronger and advanced. You know, I remember using iPad 1, you know, a long time ago. And now, you know, iPad like Air, what is better? iPad Air is a lot more better. I remember using flip phone as a cell phone and now like smartphone, which one's better? Smartphone is better. So in a way, you know, God saw man. Okay, that's my first edition. Let me make it better. So second edition came along and women are a lot more complicated, just like a smartphone. So women also sin, more complicated sins. You know, men, you know, sin, very simple. You know, men fall into the same desire, same temptation again and again. But women, temptation, very complicated. But sometimes that's why God has given very simple husband to you. Because God wants to make your life more simple. You know, compared to a simple life and to really enjoy faithfulness of who God is.
But through this, as I mentioned, God has given you rare fit so that through that relationship, you begin to pray. You begin to experience sanctification and together you are partnering together so that husband will support wife to live out his, her calling. And wife will support husband to live out his calling. You know, I didn't say this uh, in KM worship, but uh, yesterday uh, was our wedding anniversary, 23rd and wedding anniversary. So we've been married for 23 years. But I was at the retreat Friday, Saturday, all day. You know, I came home like 9 p.m. And, and I feel, part of me, like, you know, oh, like I feel bad, you know. I want to spend, you know, time wedding, wedding anniversary. But I was so thankful because as I was, you know, planning the retreat and just coming home, my wife just praying for me, you know, for the weekend because we're in a very important session retreat planning for next year. I'm praying for you. You know, how is it going? But on the other hand, there are some of my friends who are so gifted in ministry and yet somehow through their marriage, somehow they couldn't really fully focus on God and really serving in ministry or pursuing the calling. I'm not just talking about pastoral ministry, but even in our workplace, I know that some of us, rather than really supporting and sponsoring our spouse to thrive, some of us, we are doing exactly opposite. And what God is saying is that, you know what, we need to come back to original meaning and original purpose while we are married. Or those of us who are not married, even before we consider marriage, remain single or getting married, we think about our calling, why God has called us very beginning. So that whether we remain single or whether later when we get married, that marriage will help us to fulfill the calling in our everyday life. When marriage thrives, church thrives. When church thrives, there's a hope in the world. Think about so many situations are consequences of broken family and broken marriage. But on the other hand, when we experience the gospel in our family, there's a discipleship to our next generation. And there's a hope, those around us. And God wants to use our marriage and our family as a reflection of the hope of the gospel in our everyday life. And I hope and pray that we'll be able to understand that and go back, desiring God's healing and restoration in our marriage. Let's pray together.